Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchak. My partner is Stephen Trinkwald. We are resuming our 2021 outlooks. Actually, we're starting our 2021 outlooks. We're starting with the Phoenix Mercury. Stephen, why are we starting with the Phoenix Mercury? We are starting with the Phoenix Mercury. And it's nice to be doing these again. Let me it just is. say this is kind of uh, our first uh, batch of episodes when we first started this last summer. This is kind of how the show gained its footing, uh, whatever footing we have in terms of our, our rhythm. So, But we wanted to start with Phoenix and, and a couple other teams uh, in the near future because Phoenix pretty much has their roster set in in a way that a lot of these other teams don't you know teams that are going to be making draft picks that have a chance of making the roster phoenix pretty much has their 11 players in place uh, i think they have 10 officially under roster and then shea petty on the training camp contract and they can't really afford to bring anyone else in so we kind of know what this team is dealing with from a roster standpoint so it's easier to basically talk about what's going to happen with them and uh phoenix not much is going to be going on with them in the draft at least projecting right now they have a third round pick and that's about it not like phoenix ever has much going on in the draft but to, uh, along those same lines we're probably going to be taking a look at in coming episodes we're going to be taking a look at like the mystics the sun teams that are pretty much set for the upcoming season and then we're going to wait until after the draft which is uh reported by rachel galligan as april 15th april 16th a uh, little bit of a gray area there but we're going to wait for teams like dallas and chicago and indiana after the draft, because there's still a lot to be decided there. But going back to Phoenix, uh, Stephen, what happened with the Phoenix Mercury in 2020? They went 13-9. and nine. That was good for fifth in the league. Uh, they had a net rating of 2.7, which was sixth. They had a 104.5 offensive rating, fifth best in the league, and a 101.8 defensive rating, sixth best in the league. So by the numbers, a pretty average team. And they, uh, they defeated Washington in the first round, as we all remember, on that incredible shot by Shea Petty, and then lost to Minnesota in the second round. Which was a, a close game, if I recall, correct? Yeah, they lost by one point. It was 80 to 79, if I recall. Right. Okay. So uh, you said, so those stats, it kind of suggests a, a middle-of-the-pack team, which in itself, I don't think it was very surprising from Phoenix, but there were some pretty major ups and downs for the Mercury, both on and off the court last season. They, they kind of, you know, they were, they were ebbing and flowing. Started off the season maybe not so great, picked up some momentum. Then, of course, Brittany Griner left the bubble. They went on this six-game winning streak against, I'm not going to say against all odds because they had some things going for them, but a lot of people didn't really expect that, I don't think. So there was kind of a tale of two teams here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, you had the first half team with, uh, with Griner and Hartley. Uh, Hartley, obviously, uh, another big story for them before her season got cut short. And then the team that kind of the storyline was built around, right, with Kia Vaughn taking Griner's place in the starting lineup, Bree Turner getting a lot of uh, the credit for their uh, success in, in a alleged defensive turnaround. Diana Trossi's just huge offensive stretch uh, during that six-game win streak and, and beyond. Uh, to kind of finish out the season once she kind of got it back a little bit. Uh, you know, she missed a few games with a back injury. Those next couple of games that she did come back were not amazing by Phoenix. Um, and that's kind of right around the time also where, where Griner left the team during that three-game losing streak. So a little bit of a, a volatile situation, I guess, in, in some ways, just in terms of like, you know, the ups and downs. And this team went through uh, a stretch over the course of the season where they had, you know, seven or eight players available just to kind of play for them for some of these games. So it was not an easy job for Sandy Brondello last year. No, not an easy job at all. And I think that's the lack of depth or, I mean, that's, that was part of the problem with the bubble, right? Like it was, it was much more difficult to bring in replacement players. And when you have players leaving the team and like, they're still counting against your cap, you're kind of, your hands are kind of tied there. So, but yeah, you mentioned it, Diana Tarazi went on one of her, her all-time heaters, which was pretty amazing for a 38-year-old, but uh, I mean, some of the shots she was hitting. And then her new backcourt mate, Skylar Diggins-Smith, playing really good basketball as well. There are a lot of storylines. Uh, Brianna Turner, I know you want to talk about her. She had a what some might be considered to be a defensive player of the year campaign. I disagree with that, but we can get into that later. Uh, where do you want to kind of start with this team? I guess the notion that this team had this kind of giant turnaround in the second half of the season is a little bit misleading. Like, yeah, they... They won those six straight games within their last nine or so of the regular season. But early in the season, you know, with Brittany Griner, it's not like they were terrible. Like they were, 
they were six and four. They had won four straight at one point. They won six of their last eight games at one point. They had wins over Vegas and Chicago. Like, um, and then they kind of went on that three-game losing streak as DT was kind of making her way back from injury, as I kind of talked about briefly before, and Griner left. So, you know, it wasn't so much that, you know, everything got solved once Brittany Griner left because they, they had some pretty impressive games when she was there as well. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It was maybe a little overstated, and it was a situation, in my opinion, in which a lot of things needed to go right, and a lot of things did go right. Like I said, Tarazi, you know, caught fire. Um, you had a couple of really crazy last-second shots. Uh, for example, Scott Dugan-Smith uh, beating the buzzer. Was, he, was that against Connecticut, I think? Yeah, that, that was to put him into overtime as well. Yeah, yeah, and they ended up winning that game. Shea Petty in the playoffs, obviously. Um, Brianna Turner having a really solid stretch on defense. So there, there was a lot going on there that I think went in the Mercury's favor. That's not to say that makes it any less impressive, but I think when people were looking at the team early on, they saw a really inconsistent energy coming from this Mercury team. You know, that opening day ball loss against the Sparks, then they lost to Indiana. They were looking pretty lethargic in some of those games. But, you know, when the team was shorthanded without Griner and with some of these replacement players, they it seemed like they were just moving the ball really well. You had Tarazi and Dagan Smith putting in huge efforts night after night. And like when, when things go, when things keep going your way, of course, narratives are going to form like, Hey, is this team better without Brittany Griner? I don't think they are. I'll just squash that right now. But uh, it was an interesting stretch for them for sure. So let's get into some of the, the, the nitty gritty here last season. Um, it was the second season in a row. They were the number one offense in transition efficiency, and they got all the way up to eighth in frequency up from dead last the previous season. That was something that we talked about in last season's off season outlook or team outlook was, you know, they have these players that can be really effective transition players. Like you got to actually get out and run like will Skylar Diggins Smith impact that at all. It turns out she did. Yeah. Uh, that efficiency was driven largely by, uh, Diggin Smith, as I mentioned, uh, but also Diana Taurasi. Her pull-up three game was back. Obviously, you know, 2019 was a pretty lost season for her. It was great to see DT kind of back to her old self. 92nd percentile in transition, 77% adjusted field goal percentage when you account for, uh, nice. you know, threes weighing more than twos. Bree Turner, I think, was a, a great presence for them as a rim runner. Uh, Sophie Cunningham is someone for them. You know, we'll, we'll talk about how much we expect her to play this season, but you know, someone who would leak out a ton for kind of just some some really easy freebies for them on rebounds. I think she she really impacted their transition game playing a little bit more. And then, you know, both the guards, uh, Diggin Smith, not an amazing finisher in terms of her efficiency in, in transition, but, you know, she's going to get in the open court. She's going to give you some of that volume. And then Hartley as well. They were still, despite losing Griner, they were still third in efficiency on post-ups, but went from second in frequency in 2019 to eighth last year. They pretty much just stopped posting up when Griner left the team. Um, she was still pretty much the best post-up player in the game. I don't think there's any surprise there, especially with Cambage out. 83rd percentile for Griner, third in total attempts, despite only playing 12 games. So, you know, obviously whenever she's in the game, like they're they're dumping it down to her uh, for better or worse. You know, obviously the efficiency is there, but we can kind of talk about how it maybe affects their overall flow as an offense uh, over a point per possession for Griner on those post-ups, which the two players higher than her in volume, McCowan and Wilson, they, they were under a point per possession. So just when you combine the, the efficiency and the volume, you got to still point at Griner in terms of being like the dominant low post present, you know, back to the basket player. Um, so, you know, where did those possessions kind of go in terms of them dropping all the way from second in frequency in 2019 to eighth last year? They actually also saw some dips in frequency in place finished by the pick and roll ball handler and in spot ups. So we saw some increase in transition, as I mentioned, increase in cuts, a lot of those by Turner, you know, some of which were some pretty nice cuts, I think, by Turner. Like the it's amazing how frequently the defense would just kind of lose track of Bree Turner and... Uh, she would make her way right to the front of the rim. This is something we talked about in last season's team outlook as well, like the Griner-Turner combination, you know, whenever the double would come, if Griner was just a little bit further away or if they were on opposite sides, like Griner was able to really find Turner. And even with Griner gone, you know, Turner was was still a really effective cutter. And then the cuts, I think, also go up with Skylar Diggins-Smith in, in the lineup as well, you know, someone that can be a, you know, she's not the one cutting, but she's a dribble penetrator and those... Sure those dump offs to the dunker spot, you know, those are kind of categorized as, as cuts as well. Uh, and then a slight increase in plays 
finished by the roller, the most frequent of which was Kia Vaughn, who came in at the 12th percentile in efficiency, a very, very low number and a very expected low number, given her propensity to kind of pop out on those, which she did about half the time. Uh, Vaughn was nine for 21 on pick and pop jumpers. Of course, all of those are, are from long two, so that efficiency is just not going to be there. And then 26 points on 28 possessions when she dove to the rim, also pretty bad. So, um, you know, when, when it was Turner kind of diving in those pick and rolls, they're, they're pretty good. But when it was Vaughn, uh, not so good. One other thing I, I did want to say, they were once again second in the league in free throw attempt rate. We talked, you know, extensively over the award show pod that we did and, and some other ones at how good Tarasi and Diggins Smith were at getting to the line. Those two were kind of really the driving forces in getting that free throw attempt rate up so high. Uh, both of them were in the top eight in total free throws attempted with over 100 free throw attempts each last season. Uh, and Griner was actually third on the team in free throws taken to give you an idea of how little everyone else on the team got there. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when you have uh, such a drop-off in usage, I, I think you're not going to be expecting that many free throw attempts from other players. But yeah, I mean, that's drawing, drawing fouls has, has always been a strength of both of those players. And when you have, I think that's one of the things when you have, when you take Griner out of the equation, um, it's pretty, pretty amazing that she's third on the team in total attempts after missing like half the season. Right. But when you take Griner out of the, out of the equation, there's a few things that happen. And one is that obviously those guards are going to get usage bumps, shot attempt bumps, which is going to lead to more free throws. And that was one of the driving forces, as you said, of this kind of, I mean, they had, they had to adjust. Whenever you lose Brittany Griner, a player like Brittany Griner, you're obviously not going to be posting up a ton. You're going to be getting your shot, your guards a lot more shots. And I think a player like Brianna Turner is going to have more opportunities in an offensive system like that, because there's more spacing. Talk a little bit about how the team kind of, I mean, you were talking about it, how the team kind of adjusted to losing Brittany Griner there. Well, yeah, I kind of wanted to get into the the guard play. Like they were the number one team scoring from the pick and roll ball handler, uh, I don't think that's too much of a surprise given their the, the guards. Diana Taurasi and Skylar Diggins-Smith were both excellent in that regard, uh, 92nd and 89th percentile, respectively. I thought this was also interesting, kind of an aside. Like They were number one this year, as I mentioned, at uh, ni- uh, 0.973 points per possession, so just under one point per possession. Last year, they were number two at 0.795. So that same efficiency, 0.795, as number two last year, that would have been good for 10th. So uh, scoring from the pick and roll guards was way up kind of league wide this season. I, I wonder if that was just, you know, players just being more fresh from lack of travel, you know, some of the big name bigs in the league missing this season, you know, John Quell and uh, Liz Cambage and even Elena Deladon has some really great length kind of uh, contesting those guards at the rim, or, you know, it might've just been small sample size, uh, of course, which the WNBA is, you know, you're always kind of dealing with, with, such a short season here. So back to Tarasi and, and Diggins Smith. I've talked a lot about kind of their their awesome offensive seasons. Pretty much the the two the only t- two high usage guards, along with like Vandersloot, who you know doesn't have a high usage in a traditional sense, but when you when you kind of lump in her playmaking responsibilities, you can consider her a high usage guard. They were the only guards to break sixty percent true shooting and doing it in uh, slightly different ways. Obviously, Tarasi with the the astronomically high free throw attempt rate and the three-point attempt rate above 70%. Diggins-Smith, pretty solid in those areas, but not, you know, to Tarasi levels of like, almost like caricature levels of uh, either getting to the free throw line or shooting a three. And we've kind of touched on this before, but Diggins-Smith, like 62% finishing at the rim, 82nd percentile in the half court around the she basket. She was great. She, like, not only giving you the highest volume getting to the basket as a guard, but was also the best finishing guard among anyone who got there with any type of frequency. So, I mean, if she's able to keep that up, like over the course of a full season and, and her time with Tarasi, like this is going to be an absolute force. So, I mean, this is the important thing, right? For this team, like is how Diana Tarasi and Skylar Diggins-Smith played together. What, what, what did you kind of think of year one for these two? I, I don't see how you can look at what happened last season and say it's not working. I, I think we had some questions about their, their pairing coming into the season. Like, okay, Diggins Smith probably doesn't have the most off ball gravity, but she like low key had a really good shooting season by her standards. Um, yeah. Like in, in fact, her season was kind of interesting statistically because as you said, she was amazing getting to the, to the rim and drawing fouls. She was probably had one of her best shooting seasons ever, if not her best shooting season in her career. Uh, but she was turning the ball over a ton. And we know the uh, adjusted plus minus between her and Shirazi was 
there is quite a discrepancy there, which is kind of strange considering how much they, they played together. But I think, once again, I have to go back to taking Brittany Griner out of the equation because if Griner is, is playing, then that's, that's, that's less usage for Tarazi and Diggins, full stop. And you're going to have to change how you play because you're, you're, going, from a, you're going between a post-up heavy offense to the opposite. So it, it is really a tale of two teams here. I think in order for Tarazi and Diggins to complement each other the best, you, you can't be, you know, because Skylar Diggins-Smith, the frequency at which, she, at which she wants to get to the rim, if Griner is there, there's already going to be a party in the paint. You know, so I feel like a lot of that space is already occupied by both the offense and the defense. Especially and, if I can jump in, especially if you're yeah. playing, you know, Turner or Vaughn next Exactly. To you. Exactly. Because there's no stretch four there. So a player like Dick and Smith who really wants to get to the rim, I mean, her effectiveness is going to be limited. But when you take that out of the equation and you have the defense kind of spread out a little bit more, and I guess it helps when Diana Tarazi is hitting three-pointers from like 35 feet away from the basket. But then you have Diggins Smith operating in a lot more space and really doing what she does. She can break down the defense. She can get in one-on-one situations. Um, that pull-up jumper was looking pretty smooth for her, I think. I don't have the actual numbers on me, but uh, it seemed like she was more efficient at it. So I think it's, 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 it's a rhythm thing for her. Because if you're playing her off the ball or if she's just dumping the ball into the post and standing in the corner – I don't really care how much she's hitting, how often she's hitting threes. That's not Skylar Diggins Smith at her best. But if she's playing in space with a, like a motion heavy offense with at least two other shooters around her and she can get to the rim on a fairly consistent basis and have a player in Bree Turner who she can't dump it off in the dunker spot. That's how you want Skylar Diggins Smith to play. So it's kind of a, I don't think there is an ideal situation for this or like a, a perfectly harmonious outcome here, but uh I think that Diggins Smith was definitely more in her element after Brittany Griner left the team. Would you agree with that? I think anecdotally, I, I would agree with that. Like, I think her numbers just from an efficiency standpoint, like I think they actually did kind of drop off over the course of the season, but like, it just seemed like her comfort level increased in terms of like doing what she wanted to do. You know exactly. What I mean? yeah. So maybe there was just kind of some, some shooting luck uh, over the course of the season that, that kind of normalized in terms of like the true shooting or whatever it is, but you know, just kind of watching the film, like she definitely seemed uh, a lot more comfortable when, you know, she wasn't kind of just standing around watching, uh, you know, a back to the basket center for, you know, huge stretches at a time. And also like, I think that's another part of like where the small sample size comes into play. Plus the bubble, plus she's on a brand new team with brand new coaches and you know, the, the usual. So I, I did have some more stuff on Tarasi and, and Diggins Smith, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, go for it. Me. Um, I, I do think, you know, they, they're not a perfect fit for each other, but it's good enough to work. Like, like you're saying, and they did have some really nice actions between the two, you know, like they really like to run this kind of horns action with Diggins Smith as the ball handler and kind of run that into a flare screen. So it would be uh Tarasi and usually Kia Vaughn as like the two horns screeners. So, you know, for, for anyone that doesn't know, like a, a horn set is when you, you know, you're kind of running a pick and roll, but instead of like a traditional pick and roll, there's like a, you know, you have a screener on both the right and the left side instead of just one or the other. So, uh, so they would kind of run that horns action and then, use Vaughn to kind of set like a flare screen for uh, Tarasi after Diggins Smith would go to Tarasi's side, you know, follow Tarasi's screen. Uh, Tarasi would use Vaughn to kind of get open for a clean look. That that really generated some really great looks for Tarasi. It also did generate like one kind of costly turnover in that Washington game, which kind of almost cost them the game after they ran it like a hundred times over the course of that game. But, <laughs> but over the course of the season, it was really something that worked for them. Uh, it would either lead to a wide open jump shot for Tarasi or like a switch onto the big. And even with DT's a little bit kind of declining athleticism, you still don't want to switch that because she can just, you know, pull up from anywhere. Like the big is still going to give Tarasi plenty of space. And if she's playing too close, then there's going to be some help shading over and someone else is going to get a great look or, or Tarasi's going to end up at the line. And, you know, the, the other thing that I think is uh, important for this pairing is that even beyond just kind of the surface level numbers that Diggins Smith showed, she really, at least for last season, like she, she showed you that she's not a player that you can just kind of duck under screens anymore. She canned about half of her threes when the defense ducked under a screen on either a pick and roll or a handoff. And she also showed some real chops like firing right off flare screens or pin downs, you know, the dribble pull-ups, like you said, you said, she showed a real knack for being able to hit those when she had a big switched on her, like a Bree Jones or like a joiner Holmes or something who would, you know, kind of a, a less mobile, big uh, moving laterally. She would just kind of can those threes as well. So, you know, she had some small sample size theater. Obviously she had some, 
some really bad misses, you know, off the side of the backboard, off the top of the backboard, stuff like that. But if Diggins Smith is going to continue to be that type of shooter, like this, it, it's a lot more of a kind of tenable pairing, I guess. And, you know, the problem with these two, of course, is it's not really what they can give you together. It's like, are the other pieces good enough? Phoenix as a team, 11th in the league, catch and shoot efficiency. And I think it's only as good as it was because of Tarasi and, and Diggins Smith, some of their other role players, Sophie Cunningham, ninth percentile as a catch and shoot player. Alana Smith, 19th percentile as a catch and shoot player. Kia Vaughn, 20th percentile as a catch and shoot player. You know, Vaughn shot 40% on those, but it just illustrates the difference between your role players taking threes and your role players taking, you know, spot up mid-rangers. So we'll, we'll talk about whether those issues were addressed, but when you have those two teams that are, I mean, those two players that are going to kind of generate some really clean looks for your other players, you got to be better in 11th and 11th in catch and shoot efficiency. Absolutely. And that, you know, now that you, now that you list off those numbers, it makes it even more incredible to me that Phoenix was able to go on the run that it did because you had two guards more or less carrying the team offensively with a less than ideal supporting cast. You know, we, we, we talked about this before, but like Shatoya Walker Kimbrough, I thought she would be the perfect fit alongside those players, but she struggled to play. She, she, she struggled to play, uh, stand the floor rather. So that's, and she was the one player who I didn't mention because her numbers were actually, you know, pretty solid as a catch and shoot player. And yeah. of course she's the one that they, they let walk away. You know, she's an imperfect player for sure, but it, I think we were both surprised at kind of how it played out last year. For sure. You have, you have next in your notes here, uh, defensive stuff. Yeah. Let's get to some of the defense. I, I do think, you know, team-wide the defensive improvement kind of uh, narrative was a little bit overblown. They get a ton of credit for their, defensive surge over their final eight games where they played the 10th ranked Sun twice. They played the Liberty. They played the Mystics who were ninth in offense. They played the Fever who were eighth in offense. They played the Storm without Bird or Stewart. Uh, so for the season, you know, Grider missed those last 10 games. They were 101.8 for the season and 100.7 those final 10 games. So it's not like they were, you know, some defensive force. They were better, but they weren't a different team necessarily. They continued to be a dreadful rebounding team, 12th in defensive rebounding last year. I don't think there's any surprise there. As a team, they did allow the third lowest field goal percentage within five feet, but they were third highest in frequency. And uh, some of that is even offset by being a, a bottom four team in terms of free throw attempt rate. They continue to put their opponents at the line a ton. Bottom four and opportunities allowed around the basket in the half court on non-post-ups. So that's, you know, allowing dribble penetration, allowing pick and roll finishes, dump offs, uh, stuff like that. Uh, pretty amazing that this team was, uh, they allowed the second lowest frequency in transition defense. Don't really understand how that happened. This was something that I mentioned as a weakness coming into the season for them in last year's team preview. I don't really understand how they turned it around, but they did. So good for them. And, you know, we, we do one last thing I want to say about them kind of as a, a team defense, we, we give them a hard time defensively. Um, but I do think, especially in, in the playoffs, you know, they stayed pretty disciplined in terms of like going under and going over the right players, uh, you know, not giving, you know, an Ariel Atkins or something kind of a clean pull up three stuff like that. So being pretty disciplined when they wanted to switch, you know, their, their defensive personnel just is not good. Right. So I guess this is a, a good place to kind of transition to returner season. Yeah, go for it. I mean, uh, Brianna Turner, it's not an, uh, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say she really took off when, when Brittany Griner left the bubble because she had to, you know, but um, she was given a lot more responsibility, particularly on defense. And as I said, I think things open up for her on offense, but people really came to appreciate what Bree Turner is good at. Although I think you have some, 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 some uh, hesitation on, on calling her like a, a defensive stalwart. Well, so like, what is kind of the reputation for what she's good at? I would say a, a really good help defender who can make a ton of plays on defense, who gives a ton of effort, maybe not a versatile offensive player, but one who plays within herself and can, you know, make this, make the right play on offense. I would disagree with that evaluation. And I think that that is kind of like the popular perception that she is like this amazing help defender. I think she's a really talented defender at this point. I think she's better as a switch defender and, just as like a one-on-one -on -one defender than like a traditional team defender from like the center position or something like that, you know, in terms of her, her shot blocking, which of course is not everything to be sure. Um, 43 blocks on the season. A lot of those 
were coming from just guarding her own defender, you know, uh, Asia Wilson on a jump shot or she, she, ju- she does block a ton of jump shots, not so much coming over from the weak side as a helper, uh, you know, going vertical or something like that at the rim. But as a switch heavy player, I think that would really be where at least right now, like her, her strength is like she, she doesn't to me have the timing and the instincts as, you know, this kind of anchor of your defense, um, as a one-on-one defender, she she did have some really impressive moments, though, uh, against some really good players. We we talked way back in our playoff preview pod uh, about the fits that she gave Maisha Hines Allen in the regular season matchups, and Maisha Hines Allen really didn't have any much like any more success in that playoff game uh, after that pod. Uh, you know, she did have an, an efficient night, but really wasn't able to get any sort of volume. Turner also played Asia Wilson really effectively in Phoenix's like key regular season win against Vegas in early September. So that was like their second game. Wilson scored 17 points on 17 shooting possessions in that one. And then Wilson also scored 17 points on 22 shooting possessions in their first game, uh, the early one where, where Griner was still on the team, but Turner was kind of the primary assignment on Wilson. So, you know, I think she can be an important part of a good defense, but I don't think right now she's like the five, you know, the anchor of a good defense, like the center cleaning up on help responsibility. You know, the Indiana game, at least in in kind of what I was seeing in my evaluation, like that was the one where you could probably point to, you know, that's where she's kind of coming over and getting a ton of blocks on players that weren't her primary assignment. Otherwise, you know, she's just a really solid defender guarding fours. So do you think Here's here, here's a question for it. Do you think it seems like she's more of a four on defense, but a five on offense? Would you yeah, agree with that? I, I would say at least that's what we kind of saw last season. Um, I mean, maybe she can be the the five on defense. You know, they had Vaughn, but like she wasn't really doing that. Like she wasn't, you know, coming over a ton and being that kind of help stopper. You know, the person that's cleaning up on help responsibility. But I do definitely think that she is a five on offense. And, you know, you mentioned that she's someone that plays within her role. Like I would love to see her playing at the five, like truly at the five with a real power forward next to her, you know, someone who can space out a little bit more than, you know, Kia Vaughn to 15 feet or whatever. You know, she is one of the closer things the WNBA has to a lob threat, Uh, you know, not necessarily because she's a sky high leaper, but more so because she just has really great hands and, and can finish without coming down. She just right. really can kiss it off the glass on those finishes. And so many WNBA bigs just kind of either don't have the touch or the confidence to finish while in the air before kind of coming back down. And, and that's why a player like John Quill Jones, for example, ends up having such a high proportion of her shots blocked because she has to catch it, come back down, bring it down, and then, and then kind of go back up against some length. And you know, that's not the case with Turner. If you just get it up there, she can kind of kiss it right off the glass and finish. And, you know, she dives pretty hard. And I think Phoenix guards would actually kind of miss her pretty regularly when, when she was diving, at least on, you know, like a pick and roll. Maybe not so much on cuts where she was kind of wide, wide open. But, you know, maybe Phoenix just isn't used to kind of having a, a big that would dive that hard on pick and rolls. But, you know, I do think overall she's not like an elite finisher around the basket, but she – She's pretty decent with her strong hand. She she doesn't have a ton of confidence with her uh, with her left. But like I w- I would love to see her just kind of like you know being that player who can kind of be that that pick and roll centerpiece in terms of you know diving hard every time even if she's not going to get the ball. 60th percentile rolling to the basket already, and you know she's playing with a five for like 90 percent of her minutes, whether it's Vaughn or Griner. So I would love to kind of see what that really looked like in a, a more opportune situation for her. Yeah, because for as much uh, for as much as I was talking about how the spacing improved without Griner on the floor, like teams, Kiavon is not some is not like a stretch five or anything like that. So I, I think there was there's there there's more to be had for Brianna Turner. So what's what's like the the ideal outcome for Brianna Turner this season? It's gonna be your third your third year, I believe. Yeah, well, I I don't really think the ideal outcome is kind of in the cards for Turner because they do still have Griner. Um, Cause I think the ideal outcome would be like playing the five full time, you know what I mean? And, and playing with a real four, but you know, I think the ideal outcome with this team is uh, kind of getting back to what we saw her rookie season a little bit offensively in terms of, you know, whenever that double comes for Griner, just get to the front of the rim. She's going to be able to find you most of the time. Uh, maybe on some second units, you know, she'll be able to kind of play the five and, you know, next to uh, an Alana Smith or something, I guess, and be that more pick and roll centered big who's who's going to be able to dive to the to the rim and stuff like that. 
And then defensively, like I, I think maybe this team, when Griner's not in there or, or even when Griner is in there and, and the action's just not involved with her, like maybe they should just switch everything. You know, they have some somewhat strong guards and uh, if they have play with enough discipline, maybe they can just like, you know, scram if it's Diggin Smith or something like that. But I mean, I don't know, like what are you kind of imagine the, the best situation for Turner is? On this team, I'd almost rather her come off the bench, see her come off the bench. Because behind Brittany Griner, that is. Because that way she can get all those minutes at the five. But that would once again, as you say, require a four who can, who can play alongside her. And, and Smith, like, I don't think she's really shown that she can do that. You know, they, maybe you can get away with it. Like, like, they don't really have much small ball lineup potential either. So I don't know. Yeah, I, want, I actually want to get to Smith. But one other thing I just wanted to say uh, on Turner before we move on. You know, I think, uh, like I mentioned, she she's pretty good with her strong hand, not a ton of confidence in her left hand, uh, but she's not completely right-hand dominant. Like, she did show some lefty finishes, particularly, you know, in kind of lightly contested situation. But there, there's a, there is one habit that I think she really does need to kick. Like, wh- when there's a defender close, uh, she would sometimes go with the right hand in situations where she should have gone left. And the one in particular is, like, when she's playing with her back to the basket, which I know she doesn't do a ton of, but and she's kind of posting up and she turns right shoulder and still try to finish with her right hand. And like you, that's just, you're never going to be able to hit that shot, right? Because it's right there in the body of the defense. Um, so if she's going to, you know, try that move, she's, she's at least going to have to put it up with her left hand. But if we could like move on to Smith, I guess this was her second year out of Stanford. And it, it's crazy to think that like, she's probably at this point, a better defensive player at the four than she is an offensive player. Like, I don't know what her, uh, reputation was coming out of school, but I, I don't think folks imagined her going 12 for 61 from three, her first two no. seasons. No, not at all. I, I think that was her, actually her biggest appeal coming out of Stanford was that, okay, she might not be the best athlete, but she's uh she's a really good three point shooter. So maybe she can be, she can make some team as a stretch for her. And she's not really doing a whole lot of stretching in Phoenix. She's not. Well, at least she stands out there, uh, which is good. She definitely, yeah, she's good at standing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, she's not making defenses uh, panic or anything. And, you know, her, I think she's like a 55% finisher from two. So, you know, that's not terrible for kind of her player type, but she's got to start hitting some of those shots if she's going to be kind of a valuable piece of this rotation. And yeah. then on the, yeah. on the other end, you know, she is a, a pretty decent switch defender, as I mentioned. Like, I, I do wonder maybe that like the, the ceiling for this team is just, you know, playing as much of a switching system as they can and just not giving up some of those uh, easy penetration lanes through you know trying to go under or something like that so what one thing i wanted to ask you like right now is is she a better option for them than kia vaughn as their third big or like who's kind of the better choice there in terms of the the first big off the bench i i'm not a big kia vaughn fan but as you were talking about you know tarazi's impact coming off those screens i did kind of consider that she might just be she might just be a better role player you know, I mean, there's, there's a reason why they keep signing her. She's a big body. She can, she can actually can take some, uh, she can take the defensive pressure off Brianna Turner against those bigger bodied centers. And she might just be a better, she's probably a better screener than Smith too. I mean, so she might be the best be, screener on the team in terms yeah, of. Oh, players. well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't think that's, that's an exaggeration either. So I would say, I would say Kiavon because she just does things that you want your big to do. That's that's simplifying it a lot, but man, until Smith starts hitting some of these shots, I, I don't see what she's really bringing to the team. Yeah, and we talked about how, like, from an efficiency standpoint, you know, when you're just kind of lining up with league average, like Kia Vaughn, you know, she's not going to rank very high because she's she's just shooting mid-ranger, those, yeah. those mid-rangers. But you know, she was one of the best players in the league at that kind of long uh, or or kind of medium range long two uh, at almost a point per possession. So you know, that's that's pretty valuable in its own way, like come playoff time where offense is going to be a little bit down. Things are going to be kind of grinding a little bit more and, you know, to just be able to can that shot 50% of the time. That's, that's not the worst option to have in the world. Yeah. And you know, you know what you're going to get from her because that's been Kia Vaughn's game forever. When you have like somewhat still of an unknown quantity in, in, in Smith, who still isn't really giving anything. Yeah. I think I'd, I'd rather have Kia Vaughn. Is there anything else that we should talk about before we get to like, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, uh, kind of the, the rotation of this team? Well, how about Bria Hartley? I mean, she, she came to the team, uh, (laughs) 
the Phoenix Mercury uh, account on Twitter still likes to uh, still likes to make fun of people who said it was a bad signing. I didn't think it was a bad signing. I think I think the contract itself was in question, but she was playing some pretty decent basketball before she got hurt. She was like this was a player that we <laughs> hadn't really seen before. You know, what I mean, just in terms of not just like the the efficiency, but the usage. Like she had the ball in her hands, like as the the person running the second team. You know what I mean? And Obviously, like you said, it was a much maligned contract at the time it was signed, but she was maybe the front runner in terms of being the sixth player of the year before she got hurt. Uh, I think maybe her season was a little bit streakier than than folks might remember. Like she had some, I agree. some kind of real stinkers in there in terms of, you know, game after game. But, you know, the increased usage, the increased playmaking, um, the increased efficiency, like it, at times it, it really felt like she was their best pick and roll playmaker. Um, and there were, you know, definitely stretches, especially early in the season, I think, where like the star players were having a little bit of trouble kind of figuring things out, like the, the big three trio of, of Griner and, and Diggin Smith in particular. And, you know, Tarasi was just kind of getting back into it after a lost season. You know, she had some pretty slow nights early on. And then the bench would just come in with Hartley and, and kind of kill teams. So unfortunately, you know, she, she tore the ACL in Phoenix's 15th of their obviously 22 regular season games. So what, what do we kind of expect from her in year two? I think, you know, you know, this might be putting too much pressure on her, but I think the difference, I think a healthy Bria Hartley will make this team a lot better than a, because like if Bria Hartley is not healthy, their bench is not good. But as you said before, I mean, there were stretches, there, there were a few games last season where it seemed like Bria Hartley, I mean, there were a few games last season where she seemed like their best player coming off the bench. As you said, she was pretty streaky. Then I think I, I agree with that. I mean, there were some games where she was, not really doing anything, but when you have a player like that who can play, you know, both guard positions, I, I say this, this is one of my new, this is one of my new parts of my brand. Combo guard is a good thing. Positional versatility is a good thing. And while Bria Hartley might not be the traditional point guard, like she can, she can make plays for others and she can make plays for herself. And we have a player coming like, when you have a player like that coming off her bench, then that makes everyone's life a whole lot easier, especially when you have, when you're relying so heavily on your two starting guards because then you can, you can stagger your rotation somewhat, but if she's not healthy, then I don't see, then what advantage does the Phoenix Mercury bench have over any other bench? You see my concern there? Yeah. And one thing I was kind of talking about or thinking about in my head when you were kind of talking about like, how do we best, you know, put Diggin Smith and Turner and, and some of these other players kind of in the best situation. You know, the, the thing that popped in my head immediately is, you know, you kind of know who your starters are going to be, at least in terms of, you know, Diggin Smith, Tarasi, Turner, Griner. You know, maybe, maybe Griner just gets the quick hook. You kind of open things up for the starters, uh, you know, the, the two guards. And then, you know, it's kind of Hartley and Griner on the second unit kind of running things. And you just let Griner kind of just kill teams you know, smaller or, or backup center or something like that. Maybe that's the best way to kind of optimize everybody involved. But one thing I did want to talk about just in terms of like the, the expectations for Hartley. And, you know, I agree with you. Like if, if she's not right, their bench is looking rough. Um, but there was a recent study published by the uh, Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine. I believe this came out in December of 2020. So just a couple months ago, documenting that the typical WNBA player doesn't return to peak performance until after two full seasons after sustaining an ACL injury. So uh, the study detailed, you know, maybe not uh, uh, the things that a normal basketball fan or uh, someone that looks at uh, advanced stats or something would kind of uh, use to analyze a player's performance, but they, they kind of tracked uh, players minutes, uh, how many games they played, you know, some of the box score stats and like um, points per game, three point percentage, stuff like that. You know, doesn't really touch on defense, obviously. That, that's kind of hard to quantify. Um, but it was an interesting study, at least, to kind of outline that it'll take, typically, for, for the average WNBA player, two full seasons after sustaining the ACL injury to, to kind of get to where they were pre-injury. Yeah, that's, that's actually, that was actually a really fascinating study. I appreciate you sharing that with me. And, and we, we could probably post it on social media after we're done recording here. But um, it checks out. It checks out because I think when you're the, the, the study, by the way, it, it kind of compared them. It, it kind of compared them to the NBA players coming back. And I believe um, it's, 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 it, it came up with like NBA players are not only more likely to recover fully from an ACL injury, but they recover more quickly. Um, it, the one thing it did not mention, however, was that unless I totally missed it, 
Um, <laughs> reading scientific journals is not the most exciting thing, so forgive me. But it, it, it did not mention that uh, WNBA players play overseas in the winter, or at least a lot of them do. So maybe that kind of sets their timeline back a little bit. I, I don't know. Do you think that would be a factor? I think it would. That's a great would point. It? I didn't consider reading the um, reading the actual study, but that's something <laughs> that obviously makes a lot of sense and is really going to factor into, you know, if you are just playing more instead of kind of doing rehab when you're not playing, then obviously like you are going to have a, a very different outcome. Um, I, think, I think the uh, the other problem with comparing it to like the NBA players is that you know, like, you know how much – you know what kind of budget the NBA has for that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious not, not even, yeah. dif- difference in resources is not even uh, close. insulting, uh, obviously. But um, Okay, so um, you want to talk about like what the outlook looks like for them next year? Sure. I guess let, let's kind of start with their rotation first. So uh, they have, they're, they're going to be going into the season with 11 players. They uh, can't bring 12 in. So, you know, we, we kind of know who the big ones are. Uh, Diggins, Smith, and Tarasi, Turner, and Griner. I imagine that Kia Nurse will, will be starting at the three or, you know, one of Nurse or Tarasi will be their three. I don't see why not. I mean, they, they, they traded for her. They've been hyping the heck out of her on social media. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they, they acquired Kia Nurse to be their starting three. And one thing, and one of the reasons I've, I've said this before, but one of the reasons I'm so high in this move for Phoenix is because it just, it just solves a huge worry for them. Like, like we saw last year, they could not have a consistent, like Sophie Cunningham, couldn't hit a shot. Walker Kimbrough couldn't stay on the floor for whatever reason. Like you, you could play three guards, but eh, I think when Hartley got injured, Kia Nurse penciled in at least 28 minutes, 30, 30 minutes a game as your starting three. Plays both ways. So that's really good. Yeah. So so Hartley will hopefully, you know, all goes well with her rehab. She'll be the first guard off the bench. Uh, we we kind of talked about the difference between Smith and Vaughn, what we what we kind of thought there. So Rank, if you don't mind, rank these three players, uh, one through three, in terms of like expected playing time, who you would kind of lean to for, for the contributions from Shea Petty, Sophie Cunningham, and Megan Walker. Hmm. Okay, interesting exercise. Uh, well, if, if I may throw a qualifier in there, if Bria Harley is not ready to play at the start of the season, I would expect Petty's minutes to be much higher than if they – than if than if Hartley is ready, I don't I don't think Hartley will, will be a hundred percent. But you know, stranger things have happened. Um, if she is healthy, I don't think Petty's going to play like at all because you have Diggins Smith and Shirazi who can both run the point. Then Bria Hartley, like I said, a combo guard. So I, I think Petty is is just there going to be there for like insurance purposes. So that's between now it's between like Walker and Cunningham. I think Cunningham is the more known quantity at this point. Megan Walker had a rough year last season. There's, there's no two ways about it. Oh, I think Walker's ceiling is higher and her fit on this team is better. So I'm going to I'm going to take a little stretch here. I'm going to say Walker one, Cunningham two, Petty three. Yeah, I think that's probably if if that's how it shakes out, like that's kind of the best outcome for Phoenix. Like if they're able to, like I guess the, what I'm saying is like if Megan Walker earns that, that's kind of their yeah, yeah, their yeah. best option. Um, but you know, I I do think Phoenix definitely likes like what Sophie Cunningham gives them. Um, as like a defensive option, I like her as a defensive option, you know, on some smaller guards. I think she can hang with most threes, you know, she might get put in the goal by like an Alicia Clark or something, but a, a lot of guards will. Who doesn't? Yeah. And she does, you know, I, I think this is a little overrated, but she does give this team just like a player that is going to, you know, dive on the floor for loose balls. You know, she, she is kind of uh, maybe at times a, a dirty player, but she's someone who, who cares, you know, you, you can't say that she doesn't care in terms yeah, totally. of, uh, you know, giving you the effort, but she she is a surprisingly good finisher uh, from two point range, but un- unfortunately, you can't be a three and D player if you shoot uh, twenty six for ninety seven from three point range, which is uh, not a very good percentage. So I do think Cunningham. I think she'll start the season. You know, if if Hartley is available, like you're saying, and, and Petty is kind of relegated, uh, I think Cunningham will probably start the season as like their second guard off the bench. But Walker hopefully will be able to give them enough from a shooting perspective, and that's kind of one of the the questions I have about this team is like, can nurse and Walker improve the shooting for this team? I talked about how, how bad they were in terms of their catch and shoot efficiency being second to last in the league. So obviously nurse had just an awful season as a catch and shoot player. She was in the eighth percentile last year, but you know, it was uh, uh, interesting circumstances for her um, between the, the talent on the roster and coming off an ankle injury. So, so hopefully that I, 
your your outline of Walker Cunningham Petty is kind of how it will shake out by playoff time, but I guess we will kind of have to see. You know, you you asked the question like, can Megan Walker help fix the Mercury's shooting woes? I'm actually not worried about her jump shot at all because she was such a good shooter in college and last season, like the New York Liberty. I mean, that was you, you could throw that season out for like basically everyone on that team, right? That's it was just a a nightmare of a season for Walker in particular, after coming back from COVID, I'm not worried about her jumper. I think she's a much, much, much better shooter than she showed in New York. I'm actually worried. What I'm worried about for her is her positional versatility and ability to defend multiple positions. We know that Kia nurse can do that, but can Walker. Like, well, this is something that I was going to ask you. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm glad you brought it up because I didn't have it in my notes anywhere, but uh, like Walker, we have her kind of penciled in as the backup three, right? Like, do you see her more as like a, a two, three or like a three, four? Like, can she give uh, you something either way? No, <laughs> I, right, I'm not seeing it. I, I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I'm leaning more of a three, four, but I'm not sure if she's got the physicality to, to um, like play with most fours. I'm fairly sure she doesn't have the foot speed to play with twos though. So uh, I think now that you mention it, her, her, her route to consistent minutes might be limited because of that. So that's, that's a good question. That's a good question. That's something she's going to have to, she's going to have to to get right. Did you have any other, before we kind of get into, uh, I mean, should we do strengths and weaknesses first or any other kind of like overarching questions for this team? Um, I mean, I think, I think we can kind of, well, strengths and weaknesses, it, it kind of plays into some questions I might have about the team. But let's, let's start with strengths. Let's start with uh, glass half full. Guard play, obviously. Yeah, for sure. The guard play, scoring out of the pick and roll from the guards, being able to kind of suck in the defense through dribble penetration, uh, kind of tying into that, you know, creating easy opportunities for your role players should be a strength for this team, whether that's from those guards, you know, Tarasi and Diggins-Smith kind of doing it in different ways. But, you know, Tarasi... She doesn't kind of have the, uh, I guess, uh, traditional athleticism at this point in her career to be like, you know, uh, a pick and roll penetrator in, in that way. But, you know, she's still a good passer. She, she makes some really great looks. Diggin Smith, obviously, you know, we, we talked at length about. But, you know, whether it's those two or playing out of the post with Griner, like the role players, the low usage players shouldn't have to work too hard to get their looks. One other strength I think this team has, 40 minutes of good creation. They should be able to kind of get there. Like there should never really be any lineups this team puts out there where they just kind of don't have any options for decent offense between yes. Tarasi, Diggin Smith, Hartley, you know, Nurse. We've talked about her not being a great creator for others, but she can get some pretty good looks for herself at least. I, I have some more, but any any reaction to any of that? No, I, I totally agree with you. Um, they have a lot of, this is definitely not a word, but staggerability. Like if you need to take Brittany Griner out of the game, you can, you can move, you can move your offense into just flowing through two really elite scoring guards. If one of Tarazi or Diggins is out of the game, you can go to arguably the best posted player in the league in Brittany Griner. So even though the bench is looking pretty thin, it's not like they have, they have nothing like, it's not like there's nothing they can do about that for rotations. Uh, getting to the line, I think should be a good strength still for this team. You know, Griner has kind of been heading in the wrong direction, but they'll still have the the two guards who had great um, seasons in that regard last year. Scoring in transition, you know, why why wouldn't they still be really good here if they can ever get a stop and a rebound as long as DT is healthy? If Cunningham is in the rotation, that'll be even better. You know, Turner, I imagine, will still be pretty active in transition. You know, Skylar Diggins-Smith, of course. And then just like scoring at the rim, whether it's Griner in the post, Diggins-Smith off the bounce, like, Turner is uh, a low usage player, but finishes pretty well. Nurse can get all the way to the rim. Any other strengths that kind of jump out to you? You know, there's been a lot of discussion about, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of it too, about Brittany Griner's importance to this team and her value to this team. Um, because one of the narratives was last season, no matter how much truth there was to it, this team is playing better without Brittany Griner. That was one of the stories. And they were playing great. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like Griner's value has almost been somewhat diminished after last season. They still have Brittany Griner. She's still really, really, really good. And while, like, yes, I, I get frustrated with, you know, the, the, the poor rebounding and, you know, the, the um, questionable fouls, she's still a top-tier offensive player. And as far as, you know, front-court players are concerned, that's, that's, that's still a re- huge luxury to have, Stephen. Yeah, she, in for my money, like has 
an offensive undeniability that almost no other player in the WNBA has. Like this is something that I've kind of talked about with the the contrast between her and let's say like a Sylvia Fowles, who who's awesome, right? You know, maybe the best center of, of all time, or at least in the conversation. Like Griner just there's just no stopping her presence Can't do anything offensively. Her. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like she's she's gonna get her attempts, if nothing else. You know what I mean? Like she's you, you just can't game plan for what she has in her bag in terms of like really being able to stop it. And if you want to send double teams, like great, that means someone's open and she's probably still going to score over your double teams because <laughs> you're not double teaming with someone who's six, eight. Uh, what other strength I actually did have that, that I didn't have written down, but like, I do think this team runs some pretty good, like end of game stuff, you know, Brondello, not my favorite coach in the league, but, but she runs some pretty creative stuff sometimes. Like they, they don't have a, a stale offense, I think in terms of their sets. No, they're not still. Although I, I, I have to go back to Brittany Griner here. Like, cause that's, that's such a huge to- uh, talking point. Um, how much of that was from Brittany Griner not being there in the bubble? Because if you have a post-up player, if you have a player who demands so much attention in the post, I feel like that's, that just leads itself to more stagnant offense. Yeah. That's a great point. So should we move on to weaknesses? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. I, uh, I know mine. <laughs> yeah. Re- rebounding. Rebounding. Number one, lineup versatility. You know, you kind of mentioned this as a strength, but I do think uh, in some ways that it is a, a weakness in terms of like, they, they don't really have, you know, like a, a, a power forward on this team. Like they don't have a power forward. They have three centers and, mm-hmm. you know, they're pretty good centers, but they don't have a power forward. Uh, and at least, unless one of those wings can kind of give them some minutes at the four, like they don't really have a way to kind of shift down to a smaller lineup. Um, team passing, I think might be, a little bit of a weakness like they have the three guards and and Griner has been getting better at passing every year at least statistically uh but none of their role players I think really give you anything as a passer right um I mean spot up shooting still might be a weakness for them like there's no reason to be too confident that their 11th ranked catch and shoot ranking won't roll over like we've seen some signs from nurse but the, the numbers aren't really there to be uh, positive that she's going to improve there uh petty you know, she hit the the big shot to eliminate Washington, but she was four for 34 in the regular season last year. Uh, you know, Cunningham, 27% three-point shooter in her two years, like I mentioned. So uh, shooting, even though they brought in Nurse and Walker, it, it could still be a weakness, uh, despite having two 40% shooters at your point guard and shooting guard positions. Uh, defending the point of attack, I think, <laughs> as well as just kind of team defense from the perimeter sure. uh, might be uh, a weakness. You know, they got Nurse who, who can help. Cunningham's a, a good defender. Um, putting opponents at the foul line, you know, three of the last four years, they were bottom four uh, with the exception of, I think, 2019, they were the best team in the league. You know, I imagine they're still just going to fall a ton. You mentioned Griner's dumb falls. You know, her foul numbers aren't terrible in terms of like a, you know, over the course of the season, but but the bad ones are just so bad. Forcing live turnovers, uh, they were 10th in steal rate last season per her hoop stats. I, I don't really see the path to that getting too much better. Nurse is uh, a better three defender I think than kind of what they had but she's not someone that's you know generating a ton of steals um so uh the last one I had for weaknesses is just you know consistent effort I think this group with you know the DT Griner Brondello trio like putting together a full regular season of just caring night after night is (laughs) a a lot to ask for I mean you know not not to be a a jerk about it but you know they they don't really do that right you're right let's let's put it this way the last time they did that they went 29 and 5 uh, which was uh, pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Well, I mean, they they beat my team, and I was there for it at the championship. That was not so cool, but that was an amazing team. I, I think, Stephen, just to elaborate on what you just said, or just to put it a different way, you, you, you used the term, was it last week or two weeks ago? Disaster potential. There is so much disaster potential with this team. Yeah, I mean, if DT goes out, like I could see this team, you know, Griner just kind of uh, half hearts it through the regular season. You know, they still have a pretty good roster, but I mean, there wouldn't be a shoe in for the playoffs if Tarasi got hurt. No, no, absolutely not. So where do they go? Uh, well, let's talk about our, our predictions for this team. I, I think they could be a really good offense still. Um, you know, there's no reason, despite what I said about, you know, the shooting, like they were fifth last year. Seattle was the number one offense last year. I, I don't think they'll be a top four offense again. So I'm looking at like, Vegas, Chicago, Minnesota, they were the, t- the other teams above Phoenix, who was number five, as I mentioned. There's no reason to think those teams won't be a really good offense. Uh, Washington is really the only other team that wasn't a top four offense in 2020 that will be in 2021. Uh, and I say will because 
you know, it's pretty much a, a given that if Elena Deladon is playing for your team over the course of a full season, you're not going to be any worse than the fourth best offense in the league. So, you know, maybe fifth in offense is still this team's destiny. You know, I, I don't really see how they could kind of uh, get over any of those other teams in terms of like the regular season offense, but I still think they could be like pretty good in that regard. You know what I mean? Like closer to fourth than sixth. For sure. I mean, they've, they've, they've got too much. Uh, I, I got to be careful when I say this because I've, I felt I've fallen into this trap uh, before with this team, but it just feels like they have too much talent to totally go in the toilet. You know, yeah, I, 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 th- I think, I think they're pretty clearly like on the second or third tier as far as teams are concerned, but I mean, I could see them, finishing as high as like fifth yeah sure and and maybe if like minnesota just kind of takes some time to get together like over the course of the season uh uh phoenix would be you know a better offense than them defensively they were six last year i just i imagine that will go down just as like the league is closer to full strength you know if if they care they can be better than you know your indiana's dallas atlanta so i imagine they'll be somewhere between like nine and six probably like eighth or so i, I would guess Uh, So, you know, fifth in offense, eighth in defense, that should get them to like, you know, the fifth or sixth seed, you know, definitely not a contender, I don't think, but I I see this team with semifinals upside with good health, you know, maybe first round loss downside, but I could see them, you know, upsetting a couple teams in the the first couple rounds. Well, I mean, they've, they've got Diana (laughs) Taurasi. What have we seen from the past few years? Like they've beaten better Connecticut teams in in a one game series. They, they gave that Seattle championship team a run for their money in the semifinal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Still maybe, you know, one of my favorite playoff series. Uh, that was a good one. Um, yeah. I mean, why do they have that upside? Because they have even at age 38, 39, who, someone who was a top six WNBA player in the league last year. And maybe at, at worst, like a, the third best offensive player in the league last year. Like, mm-hmm. and maybe if you get that same performance with some returning players who, who might be better, like she gets down to being a top five offensive player. So, uh, you know, she still has her, her unparalleled three point gravity, her three point versatility that really so few players in the league have, you know, her ability to just kind of stretch the defense further out than even some of the other best shooters in the league are able to her, her ability to just, get to the line on some really kind of BS opportunities, to be honest with you. Like she, she's maybe the best in the league at kind of uh, uh, leveraging foul seeking behavior to get there, there on a, on a play that, you know, maybe other players wouldn't be able to get to the fall line on, you know what I mean? So, so that, that's what makes her so good. And, you know, you, you look at the three point attempt rate and you're like, wow, she's really just taking a ton of threes, but that's because anytime she goes inside the line, she's getting, I mean, inside the three point line, she's getting to the, the free throw line. So, yeah, uh, as uh, we hear over and over again, uh, they have Diana Trossi and the other teams don't. So, you know, maybe they can get a, a couple upsets. But I don't really see like a, a finals berth being plausible for this team. Right. Yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. Uh, anything else? Not really. I mean, uh, I think we, we covered the Mercury pretty uh, exclusively, or not exclusively, comprehensively, rather. Um, so, yeah, everybody, thank you so much for listening, as always. I'm really excited to kind of get back in the saddle here as far as team outlooks are concerned. Uh, team it's outlooks been a long... are back, baby. Yeah, they're back, baby. I think uh, it's just one more step in, in, a, uh, in the WNBA season. Like, it's, it's a long offseason, man. And I think it's been even longer. It, it gets longer every, every winter. But WNBA basketball is almost back. Just have to wait a couple more months, and uh, then we are back in the swing of things. So, and we're going to be doing like one or two of these a week leading up to, because I mean, 12 teams do the math. That's what three months and then season. Then we have basketball finally. So, and when we uh, release this episode, it'll be the week of Euro league. It will be. Yes. We also have the Euro league uh, quarter. Or the, they call it the quarterfinals. It's basically the, the playoffs. Um, so yeah, quarterfinals playoffs, whatever you want to call it for Euro league women, the, uh, the best international basketball competition in the world highly encourage you to check that out they stream all their games on youtube for free so um there's no excuse go watch some EuroLeague. there's a lot of players in um who have played in the wnba in the past or are currently playing in the wnba now maybe even a few who might be in the wnba in the future who will be participating so uh i'm really excited for that and then of course we also have um plenty of draft prospects who will be participating in the uh ncaa tournament and the uh conference championships which are currently ongoing so it's a good time of year 
Well, Eric, let, let me ask you a, a question, not to yeah. put you on the spot, and maybe I'll, I'll have some egg in my face after a couple of these quarterfinals games, but I think uh, we would both consider Fenerbahce probably the second best EuroLeague team. Do they have yes. any, any chance in taking down UN, UMMC? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dude, what do you think? I think no, but... No, no. Uh, the disaster potential for UMMC would have to be much higher than it currently is. Fenerbahce is still pretty dope. Yeah. All right, so that's, that's going to do it for us. As I said, uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We have a good time doing these. Um, I hope you have a good time listening to them. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, um, on Twitter at Double Down WNBA, or our personal accounts at Nemchuk E or at Trinkwald. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear your feedback, even if it's not so nice. Um, but go easy on us, all right? And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe if you want to support the show. Thank you so much. Again, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will catch you on the flip side.